This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Good morning. Good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the uh, Manly Man Cave, the Warthog Command Center Man Cave, inside the Melton Law Studio in the piney woods of north central Florida. On oh, a kind of a nippy day, but a nice day. Sun's coming out, and uh, I think we'll be fine here. We're not stuck on I-95, thank goodness, in the middle of a traffic um, overnight. I have been there and done that in a different form, in a different state, for not as long a time, but it's not the most pleasant feeling in the world. But uh, that's the way it is in the big uh, circus now that we're living in. Uh, interstates crammed with too many cars. They're called parking lots now, and just a whole lot of people in the world. So. Um, it probably is a good segue into, you know, what I have to report today about uh, two guesses and the first two don't count. Um, drum roll and suspense. But let me begin with the local news that, uh, of course, uh, um, President Fox is going to step down as president of the University of Florida and in the fall uh, disappear into the Department of uh, Computer and Electrical Engineering which he actually has a PhD in and is very competent, I'm sure, in teaching. You know, the, the thing about these presidents is um, they usually don't last uh, 10 years. I don't think at the most he has been here. Oh, not quite that long. I think he came in 15. Um, and, uh, you know, he's he's been quiet, quiet for the most part, uh, not especially controversial. And the only thing that's kind of nagged him and got into his uh, legacy, if you will, is, of course, the COVID. And then I, uh, I think, and the press is going to be quiet about this because it's not a, a popular thing to say. And, of course, the university is going to give him all sorts of accolades and uh, uh, cover for him. And that Ed, is uh, he okayed, if you will, uh, the, the uh, um, CR2 in, in the university. Not only okayed it, but mandated it. And uh, I, I, you know, we have here on the wardscottfiles.com uh, awards hot bulletin board the documents that illustrate that. Um, nobody really much ever said anything about it uh, because you know it's not the popular thing to talk about, and to be against the up, uh, flow of the river is to get uh, you know drowned by the water. So they've kept it kind of low key. But one of the things that he did do as he on his watch, um, this whole business of uh, going through re indoctrination and getting your mind right and admitting that you are a white supremacist uh, was fostered onto the training of the faculty. According to the documents we have and according to the people on the faculty whom I've talked to, that's not going to be, of course, in his legacy, quote unquote, and his legacy is going to be 
this notion that he's brought the university up in rankings, which really, I'll tell you the truth now, is neither here nor there. There's only one ranking that counts at the University of Florida, and that is the ranking of the football team. You can, you can skin the cat all kinds of different ways, but that is the time when the enrollment triples, I mean, quadruples, and applications come pouring in. People want to come to the University of Florida, young students, when the football team is number one in the country. Um, this is all data-driven opinion. I learned it quite to my surprise uh, when I was president of the Senate at the uh, Santa Fe College, and we were examining enrollment and when it would increase and when it would decrease and when it would stay about the same. And we learned that even the overflow affects us at Santa Fe because that which the university couldn't take, of course, Santa Fe took because the two really are uh, much the same freshman and, and now sophomore and even on up years, um, interchange of professors and programs and things of that nature. So um, we discovered that that's the ranking that really matters. Uh, you can have this thump your chest thing about, oh, we're number four, number five. It doesn't mean anything. But, well, I, let me just put it another way, and I've said it before. It does mean something in that it denies admission to a land-grant uh, uh, recipient, a high school student in the state of Florida, uh, who is not going to be given a place at the university uh, if some kid comes from out of state with some sort of magical test scores. And that's really uh, corrupting the original intent of the university giving the land uh, to the, uh, the, uh, the state, giving the land to the university, the people giving the land to the uh, university for the university to be here and then allowing it to exist tax free. This is the other thing that you have to remember. Once you have the university here, you have a, 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 a uh, mooch. Uh, they don't pay any taxes. And you take a look around, it's a government government building. And you take a look around at the government buildings and boy, they've got them all over the place. And now they're trying to get into the real estate business off campus and acquire private property from which is they'll pay handsome prices and I'm sure sellers will sell. But my question is, since it will be university owned, will it be off the tax rolls? And I, I am sure it will be. Uh, if the university goes off campus and quote unquote, quote, builds apartment complexes, uh, which is um, really a dorm, and many of these things really are dorms, are they going to be tax exempt? So there's a number of ways which uh, the university punishes the community in which it lives. It, and, and yet, ironically, we learned that uh, the reason the local community, uh, uh, number one reason uh, that the local community likes a university in its midst is not because of its national ranking. Its national ranking means absolutely nothing to the entrepreneurs here locally. Um, so what matters to the university presence in a quote unquote university town is how it affects local business. And we know that local business has been replaced gradually by corporate business as the University of Florida has become more of a business. And so you're seeing more and more corporate takeover of property and high rise buildings. Uh, and that's not your local mom and pop real estate owner. 
And so that is the corporatization, if you will, of the community. And it, if there's anything that runs parallel to the quote unquote ranking of a university, it is probably that correlation between out of town money uh, gentrifying the local people, tearing down those antiquated uh, mom and pop rentals and putting up five, six story for which the city uh, buffoons here that run the town bite the bullet and allow it to happen. The first ones to, to allow that were Rick Bryant and Ed Brady and those guys who allowed the standard to go up at the corner of 13th and University and to go up an extra floor because the contractors told uh, Rick Bryant and, and, and Ed Brady and that crowd that uh, we just can't make it uh, financially with the number of floors you've limited us to. I believe it was three. And, and so they let them, I think, um, this is memory now, let them go up to six. And so now as you drive around down there, around that core, around the university, you can't see the sun. It's getting to be like New York City, where you can't see anything there um, because of the buildings. You can't see the sun. You can't see uh, uh, the wind howls down those canyons. We got a little bit of that going on just uh, uh, north of the University of Florida campus on the north side there. So Fox has been involved with all of this quietly. He's not a, a, a kind of guy that is bombastic. He's really from a farm, from a rural community. He went off and became, can you imagine going from milking the cow to being a computer engineer? What a, what a sweep of that is uh, in a lifetime. And so I guess, you know, if he's smart, he got out while he could. Um, there's a lot of turmoil right now. He's liable to be the lightning rod for um, that. Uh, that um, and Bob Jones is talking about the survey was wrong. Some of it was on city property. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what he's talking about. But anyway, um, the, the, uh, the, he's likely have to have gotten into some troubled water they stayed around much longer. Uh, these university presidents become pretty shrewd. Uh, um, Mr. Lombardi wasn't because he um, made a statement that was overheard that got him uh, kind of booted out of the tap, uh, the, the uh, tabernacle, if you will. But um, uh, that was when he was talking about one of the board of regents. And of course, then um, Bush, governor, get, did away with the board of regents. And Senator Graham worked to replace it with Board of Governors. And the reason, here's the real political, here's the thing what you really need to be paying attention to when it comes to the University of Florida. Uh, let me, let, let me uh, oh yeah, I was mentioning the standard as an example, Bob. Um, here's what you need to be um, paying attention to. This is the real story behind the story. And of course, uh, Professor Warthog here knows it. I was um, deeply involved with uh, um, Senator Graham as a, because I was president. Not only was I president of the, of the Senate at, at Santa Fe, I was president of the Senate presidents of the community colleges of the state of Florida. And that included Miami-Dade. It's one of the most incredible uh, um, pieces of power that's ever been given me. And, uh, I was the president of the presidents of the senates of the state of Florida. And I worked closely with uh, 
Richard Briggs, who was the president, UF Senate president, then uh, a faculty Senate president. And, um, and, and we worked to do something that nobody probably quite understands. So I'm going to talk about it now. And I don't even know Fox. Fox probably understands it, maybe. But we already did the heavy lifting for him when he got here. Here's the danger with the University of Florida. It used to be the only premier, if you will, university in the state. All right. When I came here in 1961, it was the University of Florida, which had been up until 1947, a male school only. And FSU up until 1947, if I have my years right, and I think I do, had been a women's college, which was not unusual in the South. It was because women's colleges developed, developed ladies and men's colleges developed gentlemen. And this was a Southern uh, antebellum type of culture. Uh, and it kept uh, people uh, uh, civilized. And so uh, gradually, of course, uh, that changed. And by the time I got here, it was co-ed, but the ratio of males to females was seven. I'm told, I don't, I don't know that I ever saw a poll but it seemed to be awfully accurate. Um, seven males to every female when I came here in 1961. And of course, FSU, and we used to just lie awake and wonder about all this. Uh, wow, how did we get to Tallahassee? Tallahassee was seven females to every male. And, you know, the FSU football team really was uh, impossible for them to compete with Florida. And uh, the, 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 finally, they tied them three to three, and there was a huge brawl on the field, and this, that, one, and another. But that was the days when the University of Florida was the premier university. And it got the legislative dollars then. If you recall, uh, the University of Florida football stadium was done with private money, the expansion and the, uh, all that business. The FSU football stadium was done with legislative money because it's in Tallahassee and the legislature took the position, as I remember it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm almost never wrong. The legislature took the position that we've got to help out FSU so they are on an equal footing with uh, University of Florida. So my point is University of Florida, long before Fox ever got here, was beginning to lose its premier standing in the state. That was the one that mattered because that's how you got the dollars. And the way it was protected was through the Board of Regents. And they served, now the legislature uh, appointed the money uh, and most of them then were, F, were University of Florida graduates. So most of it would go to the University of Florida, if you will. But as that began to get a little bit more uh, balanced, if you will, and you had the more FESU people, there became a concern that the University of Florida could maybe not hold on to its premier position. And so there was a board of regents that kind of protected and balanced out programs and saw that there wasn't any duplication and this and that and one thing or another. Now, then what happened is along came other universities. Along came the University of South Florida. Now, Miami's a private school, so we're leaving that out of the conversation. But the big ones were along came the University of South Florida and the University of Central Florida, and even maybe the University of West Florida. But the big challenge to dollars was the enormous legislative power 
of Central Florida, uh, you have to realize that the University of Florida only has a senator and a representative, maybe a couple others, who can advocate for dollars for the University of Florida. It is vastly those that uh, Keith Perry and uh, Chuck Clemens uh, and uh, our, our friend from Ocala, uh, Stanzel, um, they're vastly outnumbered by Central Florida legislative power. And so the real threat to Florida University is how to hang on to those legislative dollars. And this is why there's been so much push uh, by the administration and the PR people to make Florida, quote unquote, a top ranked university in the United States, because that is the way they get a little more leverage with the legislature and they can go to the legislature and say, see, you really need to give us more than you give FSU. You need to give us more than you give Central Florida because after all, in the national rankings, we rank higher than they do. So we deserve a bigger uh, piece of the pie. That's what's behind this ranking fervor or fever or whatever you want to refer to it as. And it's probably essential in order for the University of Florida not to get uh, uh, blown away by the in, in increased uh, uh, influence of a greater legislative body in the, in the greater numbers of population in other parts of the state. University of Florida is still basically an agricultural college, not so much as it once was. Once upon a time, it was agriculture that drove the university and its administrators came from uh, IFAS, the Institute of Food uh, and Science, a great, great organization, a great school. Uh, E.T. York uh, came from there, one of the last statesmen we ever had. These people came from the soil and uh, they were at long for a long time. They matriculated up to the higher administrative posts. And but now uh, this is pushed to replace the, the gift that Florida has, which was and is vanishing uh, agriculture with oranges and cattle and a great amounts of grass and water. Ideal, you know, to raise livestock. That's being replaced by these guys like Fox, who is a computer engineer, God forbid. And you don't need land to be a computer, a, a computer engineer. And you just take for granted that all, you'll be able to go to the store and get yourself a steak or get yourself a hamburger or go to McDonald's or wherever and get yourself a, a cheeseburger. That's, they're, just, that's, they're just taking that for granted. So you've seen a shift away from the university being land-grant university with an agricultural basis to really not caring much about its own high school graduates from this state and going after national rankings in order to get dollars from legislatures that will therefore distinguish them and set them apart from the University of, say, Central Florida. But the problem with that is I have nephews who went, two of whom went to the University of Central Florida and one of whom is a computer engineer. Could have gone anywhere. They were bright futures. They could have gone anywhere. Very, very good students. And they found that by going to the University of Central Florida as the specialties that they were interested in, uh, one was uh, interested in the graphics world and there was Disney. 
and the other of the computer and their business is in uh, uh, in Central Florida that were willing to uh, um, hire my one nephew before he even graduated and pay his graduate school fees to get a master's in a business and a master's in computers and, and all this. And you can't do that here in Gainesville. It's impossible. We don't have the businesses to do that. So there's a struggle here. I don't know how much of that Fox sees, probably quite a bit of it. He's not, you know, somebody who doesn't understand how the the bread is buttered. And he's going to go into the faculty enclave where it's nice and snug and he'll be needed and he'll get tenure. But he will take with him. I'm sure he negotiated. These presidents get health insurance for life. Uh, They get perks that, you know, when you see the salary of a president, I don't care if it's a community college president or a university president. When you see the salary, that's just a tip of the iceberg because there are all sorts of perks that they negotiate, lifetime perks that everybody else, nobody else, not even the football coaches can get. Now, the football coaches can get this severance pay and this big salary, but these university presidents get a lifetime protections in the retirement system and in the medical system. Um, that That is maybe makes them even wealthier, if you will, than the quote unquote football coach who is uh, subject to being booted out at any time uh, or the basketball coach, given the dismal performance of the uh, university basketball team last night. So that's my take on uh, I'm looking here to see if there's any comments. That's my take on what's going on with the University of Florida. Um, The people in a community value the uh, this is the irony. The people living in a community whose taxes, by the way, are much higher because of the university being in their community. We know that over 50 percent of the property in this county is off the tax rolls. It's because of the university property. You factor in the university property, you factor in the county property, you factor in all that sort of business, and you're left with everybody else doing the heavy lifting. That's why the taxes are so high in Alachua County, particularly when compared to the counties right around us, because we're having to tote free of charge we're having to cover it with the fire service. Uh, we are a, a city of Gainesville and a, and a, and a fire service uh, of the county. We're the only ones with a hook and ladder truck who can go out there and get on. The, uh, if there's ever, God forbid, a fire at Shans, uh, Shans doesn't have a fire department. So we underwrite that also. And uh, so, but, but so you have to ask yourself as a business person, are you getting your fair share of it? Now, there are some business people watching here, some of whom are sponsors for the show, and you know, on-the-spot cleaners. My God, what a great bunch of people. Um, they, of course, hopefully will be benefiting from the university people here because, after all, who needs to look good, all right? It's the professionals in the community who need to, uh, uh, you know, my golly, since I've retired, uh, I've got clothes hanging in a closet I haven't worn or, you know, who knows when, because I'm I'm not formally presenting myself in the public that much. So we do have that obviously happens. Um, the, 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 the restaurant business probably also because the students, here's the other thing that you have to realize. 
The students who come here are wealthy. Uh, when we were students, we were we did well with a hot dog and a, well, we couldn't even get a cold beer unless we forged the, the, the paperwork or somebody turned his head, which happened all the time. So it, you got a hot dog and a beer and you were doing well. And you, if you could live off campus, you lived off campus. In a, I remember we had a, 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 a heater oil um, tank outside. And we had a thing. We tossed a, a, a burning piece of paper into to start it. We had no central heat. We had uh, no central air. Um, if, and on the campus, we had uh, in the dorm room Fletcher when I first came, we had steam heat, but we had no air conditioner. I lived on the fourth floor, climbed those stairs. Um, all of that was uh, were the conditions uh, that we came here under. Uh, the little barber shops and things around the university were all supported by us. Uh, the little food places and everything supported by us. None of us had any money. That I, if if was anybody had any money, and my golly, you know we we made that guy pay, right? Huh? But there wasn't any poor to pay. There was no bars. We had a dry county. So now if you go out and look at these restaurants and these people who eat out and, you know, they have cell phones and this, that, one, another, that's because they're coming from families with a lot of money or they wouldn't be here because there's obviously a correlation between he who has families that support that child, send them to tutors, send them to, uh, you know, all kinds of classes to help them make these scores to get in. Um, and that 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 is a, is a, just a fact, and that's why you see um, people here able to pay rents that we could never pay in our day. We didn't have cell phones, uh, you know. We, we none of that stuff was a base expectancy from uh, us as young people. Now those are base expectancies. So uh, we have something going on here that is most interesting in the community. It's a, a double-edged sword, if you will. It provides uh, a sort of constant sort. Politically, it's a nightmare because it produces one after another liberal, what I call hothouse plants. It produces the big green underhands. It produces the, 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 the know-it-all liberal is running everything around here. Uh, Ken Cornell's daddy, I think, was a uh, professor, liberal professor, I'm told. God rest him. Soul and I, I like Ken, but Ken is hopelessly mired. And uh, um, I got a story about him too. I may or may not reveal it is public record. Uh, it has to do with answering a subpoena in the Collier's International thing. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I'll bust that story just yet, but it's, uh, it's something that would surprise you. Um, but it is a public record. Um, so I'm going to take a break in a minute. I'm going to get back, and golly, guess what? Uh, we'll be plunging into a fantastic twist on COVID. And it has to do with uh, uh, Novak Djokovic, who is the world's number one tennis player who has been kicked out of Australia because, like Aaron Rodgers, he really doesn't think he ought to have been, he ought to be jabbed. Or it's got on the Ward Scott Files. We'll take a break. We'll play a few ditties for you. And we'll be right back in just a moment. This is Ward Scott. And I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. 
Award Scott Files Gold sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, RR Construction, Gators Dockside, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. Water boy and Cornell, known as Mini Mike and Cornell, wears elevator shoes and Cornell. He just wants to be like. Octon, octon. The papers are not in order. Step out of the line and report to the inspection station. We are going to search your belongings. Much now. Check this out, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, Hi boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to the Ward Scott Files. Professor Ward Scott here in the Melbourne Law Studio in the Warthog Manly Command Center Man Cave. 352-325-3938 in these piney woods of um, north central Florida on a nice little brisk day. And um, we're trying to uh, sort things out for you here on the Ward Scott Files from the mouth of the Oracle here, the oldest guy around who has um, institutional memory of the community, I guess, who's on the air in any shape or form, radio or podcasting. I don't know anybody else in this community who knows it like the back of his hand, like I do. And, uh, you know, they can yak all they want to, but. You know, I'm just uh, telling you what I know, and it's extemporaneous. I don't have any notes, students. It's uh, uh, it's the narrative, and you're able to examine it and respond to it and um, say what you want to say about it. So, uh, but it is um, basically the truth. And 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 you know, I'm saying that um, uh, things that perhaps you've never thought about or looked at. But uh, this COVID deal is so interesting because you know I'm a tennis player. Um, not so much here lately, but I'm trying, I'm getting back into it. I was an NCAA tennis official. I've uh, been captain of amateur tennis teams. Uh, so I know the sport real well. I know it's a little different sport from the other sports in that you're always out there by yourself if you're a singles player, which is what I always enjoyed. I've played in my lifetime very, very little doubles, but uh, I guess you do that as you get older. But Singles players, which Novak Djokovic is, uh, Felder uh, or Federer is, 
uh, Nadal is. These guys uh, are really interesting characters because they are always competing by themselves against the world's best. And to be the world's best in the tennis world is really something. Because just in this town in which I have played, there are so many good tennis players, um, hundreds of them, hundreds of them. And if you were the number one best tennis player in this town, you would be one heck of a tennis player. But you wouldn't get a game off a pro. And, 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 and I'm talking about anybody in the top 100. So take somebody who is number one of all of that in the world. And he has some competition once in a while with whom he plays. He plays, of course, Nadal. He plays Federer. He plays some of these up-and-coming young ones who are very good. But there's only four or five of them, maybe the top ten at the most, who can rotate around. And it is a lonely job. They have to train constantly. They have to compete constantly. The toll on their body is amazing. Um, Djokovic is a frail-looking guy, but he's not frail. He's sinewy. And he has, over the time, uh, done some things that even other pros found kind of interesting and perhaps even strange. He's gone into these um, chambers uh, where he has um, increased his oxygen content uh, um, in some way in which he interacts with one of these chambers that I'm not familiar with. I know some people who do do it. And it apparently had some results because he picked up his stamina in these long, arduous five-hour matches where you're out there and neither one wants to quit. Um, so he's he's been at the top, and he, but he's one of these guys who has chosen it. He's a bit, he, I think he's a vegetarian. He has chosen rather carefully his own, his own approach to health and and very scientifically and in his mind the reason he's made the right choices is because he's been at number one he, he he and he's played some fantastic players and he's right on the verge of being number one among the number ones and that would be quite a distinction to be in there with uh, Nadal and and uh, Federer uh, Federer is referred to as the GOAT, the greatest of all time. So anyway, these are superstar guys. And the first tournament, there you go, Lloyd, thank you, a hyperbaric chamber. Uh, Lloyd Bailey knows him. He's in the diving world, and he helped me out with this term, a hyperbaric chamber. Uh, the uh, Novak Djokovic has been in and has his own and trains in conjunction with a hyperbaric chamber. Um, so... The Australian Open is the first tournament of the new tennis year, and it will run through the cycle. It will go, first of all, through the hardcore world down under, and then it will come back up here, and it will encounter uh, the, uh, the, the uh, clay court world of the French Open in May, and then it will go over to Wimbledon and do the grass court, and then it will come down to the United States and the U.S. Open and do the hard court. And it's a long, arduous, really tough grind. Having been in the chair and watched these players, it's amazing what the toll is on the body. So we're not dealing with a guy who takes his athletic health lightly. But he has uh, 
thought he had a medical exemption to get around Australia's vaccination requirements, which I think are along with New Zealand are the toughest I've ever heard of. Um, the authorities yesterday uh, of the government canceled his visa to enter the country. Now, this is a guy who has his own jets and all that stuff, but he does travel with quite an entourage. And he traveled probably from Dubai, where they stay because of no taxes. Uh, and, uh, and they have great tennis facilities there and Federer's there. And, but he had to fly down from probably from Dubai <clears throat> down to Australia only to be disallowed entry into the country. So he and his whole team were held at the Melbourne airport for more than six hours by the Australian border force. And then he was told eventually after those six hours that he needed to leave immediately uh, because he failed to provide appropriate evidence to meet the entry requirements to Australia. Um, he said, they say if he wants to appeal it, he can, but he has to leave the country to appeal it. Now, I don't know where you'd go. Uh, what do you do? You're going to hop on your private jet and fly to where um, and sit down and then appeal it and try to come back. Uh, the Serbian president has gotten involved with this. Uh, this is being covered by all the news outlets. This is, a, 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 you know, easy to read about. It's, it's really a spectacular development um, in terms of athletes and COVID uh, because it, it's a little different than the NFL. The NFL has its own league requirement. And actually, the tennis leagues uh, okayed Djokovic. So they said, okay, we accept the fact that you, he's had COVID, by the way, and he, he survived it. And so the tennis uh, authorities said, fine, but Australia didn't. And uh, Serbia has taken the position that they are har harassing uh, the best tennis player in the world. And uh, they're going to try to uh, apply international public law to this. And um, uh, he's the world number one player in the world. And Australia has said, well, you know, we can't violate what the government says. It's fine with us as Australian Open organizers, but the local government will not let any unvaccinated players into the tournament. And this has really escalated in the last 24 hours. Um, he initially thought he'd been granted a waiver, uh, but the organizers said that they could give him the waiver, but they would have to do it with the approval of the Victoria Health Authorities, Victoria being the state that the tournaments in Melbourne is being held in, as I understand it. So he only discovered this when he landed in Australia, and the Australian Border Authority asked him for further documentation that he had an exemption and they kept him for six hours. Now, you keep the number one tennis player with his entourage. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he deserves special treatment, but I'm saying he thought he had done everything they required. And uh, 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 of course he cannot be reached for comment. He's smart enough that he's not gonna comment on it. But the Commonwealth government uh, enforces the Australian border. Um, Djokovic is 34 years old. Um, if he were able to participate in this, he would have been the automatic favorite to win a record 10th Australian Open. And that would enable him to take over the major title tally 
above Roger Federer and Rafael, Rafael Nadal. Um, Nadal is due to play in the tournament. He's been vaccinated. He's also had COVID. Um, but the state of Victoria, where Melbourne is, for the past 21 months has been under a strict lockdown. And the locals, you think it's bad here in places, the locals haven't been able to go anywhere. So uh, they're not going to treat him any differently, they've said, the Australian government. I'm not going to get into the rationale of the lockdown, whether it is or is not. Um, he had uh, COVID and recovered from it in the summer of 2020. Um, but this applies to his uh, his coaches and his staff and, and uh, um, the whole nine yards. So he has been, until further notice, I can't report any difference. He has been kicked out of uh, the, the Australia. And in so doing, uh, he has been, of course, uh, denied the opportunity to become uh, the record holder of the record holders. These are all COVID-related stories, which I think are interesting. Um, in the military, there are 30,000 troops uh, uh, who have uh, uh, defied the vaccine mandate, okay? And uh, uh, this has been researched, uh, uh, and uh, it, it, it even, this even appeared in the Gainesville Sun. Um, and the Los Angeles Tribune and some other uh, places have been covering this. But um, this has to do with uh, the military. And, and um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, uh, a person named Melissa Hernandez um, who uh, uh, reported on this. Nicholas Sampson is, as I understand it, this uh, West Point student's uh, issue. Uh, she completed her freshman year. She's a stellar student. Um, she earned a spot at West Point. Uh, having gone to military school, I can tell you that you compete for that. It's quite a process to get into these um, military schools, Annapolis and into Air Force Academy and the like. So she got in. Um, uh, and here's the funny thing. And I don't know if funny is not the right word, but the interesting thing. She uh, uh, has, has taken nine other vaccines. All right. In the U.S. military. She was required to take all these vaccines. She's taken nine other vaccines, no questions asked. And then comes the COVID-19 shot, and she's worried that the vaccine is too new and the risks aren't understood. So she says, I don't want to take it. So guess what? She quits West Point. I mean, I... I you quit West Point? So the latest data that uh, has been gathered by the people looking into this, uh, like Melissa Hernandez for the Los Angeles Times Tribune, uh, about 30,000 active duty service members still haven't been vaccinated. Um, the vast majority of the military has, 97% of active duty forces have received as of the writing of this uh, 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 article, January 6th, um, have, uh, have received uh, at least one dose of a vaccine. And the rest have sided with what is called the anti-vax, what has become, what has become known as the anti-vaccination movement. 
And the anti-vaccination movement, according to Melissa Hernandez, these are her words, is built on conspiracy theories about the pandemic and the vaccines, as well as the libertarian principle against government mandates of any kind. So those three issues are what is fueling the anti-vaccination movement, according to Melissa Hernandez, and that is uh, uh, the, the, the conspiracy theories about the vaccine and, and the libertarian principles. Um, now, what's going to happen to these holdouts? Uh, they are not going to be uh, allowed to stay uh, in, the, in the service. Um, the service members have argued in court that the government mandate violates their religious freedom because, quote unquote, aborted fetal cell lines, end quote, were used in the development of the vaccine, quote unquote, making it an affront to the creator. Now, you know how that's going to go over in, in, in the court. They ain't going to listen to that. Now, the irony of this is that laboratory-grown fetal cell lines, which were obtained from abortions decades ago, are used all over the place. They're used in the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. They're uh, used in the development of ibuprofen and aspirin. Huh? So... This is an issue for the United States military and what they will do, they have decided as of December 27th, is they will give these people an honorable discharge or a general discharge under honorable conditions. In other words, they will not uh, dishonorably discharge them, but they won't keep them. And um, that, that is the way that is manifesting itself in the military. I mean, every day I get up and I'm studying this COVID stuff, now, locally, <coughs> I have a friend who is um, um, pretty, pretty sure that he has COVID and has been unable locally here in this area to get a COVID test with any kind of reasonable period of time. Um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, um, and I found this out myself. I, I just checked it out and, and he said, hey, how does one go about getting a COVID Oh, you got to make an appointment and this, that, one, and another. And then, you know, there's no home kits. It's, it's really strange. And, of course, Biden is catching it for this because he promised, did he not, that um, he would um, put a stop to all this stuff. And he'd have this thing licked and all that taken care of. So this is going to come back to bite him in the you-know-what, in the derriere. Meanwhile, France has said, now, we don't care if, and the word the, the, the prime minister used was, I don't care if I do piss them off. I'm not going to let them in restaurants. <coughs> I'm not going to let them on trains. <coughs> Anything that the public is on, they're not going on if they haven't been vaccinated, period. So I predicted a long time ago that there would be a kind of leper colony created out of all of this. And, and that's kind of what's happening, is it not? We are creating in some areas leper colonies. And, and, and you know, that we send all those people there. Uh, we raise up the drawbridge and nobody goes and nobody leaves. Uh, Australia, you know, which did start out as a penal colony. We all, we all know that, that the, the, the ne'er-do-wells of, uh, of England were sent down under and, 
uh, and um, basically forgotten, and yet they thrived and became this country. Um, uh, you know, so it, it started out as sort of a, a colony and is of isolation, and now oh, they're isolating themselves when they were isolated to begin with. It, it's, a, it's, it's a really, human beings are the most interesting study in the world. I mean, we are really capable of holding two conflicting ideas in our heads simultaneously and believing both of them. It's, 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 quite, a, it's quite a phenomenon. So France is going to create within its own culture because the, the prime minister is saying, hey, if you're not vaccinated, you're not, a, you're not loyal to France. <clears throat> You're trying to make the, this, us being able to lick this pandemic. You're one of the obstacles to us defeating it. And so you're not loyal to France. And being loyal to France is a number one priority to the French. You must speak their language. You must. They won't speak English to you. you got to speak French to them. Now, I took French in college, so I know out a little bit of how to talk to them. If you want to test this out, go to Quebec or go to Montreal, Montreal. And you'll find out that you'll be standing here on the sidewalk with a Caucasian person, uh, you know, a white person who won't talk to you. And you'll say, geez, I wonder if that person needs a hearing aid or I wonder if that person. Hey, guess what? It's a French person standing there who's not going to speak to you in English. You're going to speak to that person in French. And the reason is the French know something we don't know. When you lose your national language, you lose your nation. We don't understand that. We don't understand that. It's nuts. It's one place I agree with the French. We need a national language. I mean, come on. Oh, it ain't fair. You know, come on. There's all kinds of people here. What are you going to do? You're going to have a national language or you're not going to have a country. But, you know, France is not a melting pot. Germany is not a melting pot. Quote, unquote, Spain is not a melting pot. We, quote, unquote, are a melting pot. So everybody in the world can do anything from any version of the language, it seems. But then you have to make sure you understand that what is the, the correct language. And I always told the students, the correct language is that language, which your community keeps its most important documents written down in and stored at the courthouse. <clears throat> that is your correct language. Now, you can go down to the courthouse, as I have done in deed search when I had a broker's license in real estate, and you can see deeds where the, the gentleman signed the deed. I can give you one that is an X because he was an old black fellow who got his land bequeathed to him from his white people. Oh my God, I thought they mistreated him and beat him. No, they gave him land because he'd been part of the family. So he was bequeathed land. And quite a bit of land, by the way, this land I know is prime land. But he signed his name with an X. And in the, next, in the line next to it is in parentheses, Somebody has written his mark. Now, obviously, uh, you want to learn the language that the formal documents are kept in. Somebody had to come along, and the X is not going to be adequate for a formal document. 
So somebody came along and put in parentheses in formal language, his mark. Mark, not his name, his mark. Because he couldn't write his name. So in the place where it said his name, it put an X. That's a true deed. I've got a copy of it right now in my file here in the Warthog Command Center. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't spend a few minutes today talking about January 6th, which I spent a lot of time talking about yesterday. And I just want to go through uh, a, a, a commentary by Jeffrey Scott Shapiro, which came out today in the Wall Street Journal, which says, uh, stop calling January 6th an insurrection because words have meaning. Now, the old prof here has been telling you that all along. Words have meaning. And he who controls the definition of the words is in control. And if you want to read this, of course, you read George Orwell. He's one of the masters at exploring this issue. But according to Jeffrey Scott Shapiro, stop calling January 6th an insurrection. It is an example of the false narrative. Okay. It is an example of the false narrative. Now, they can holler all they want to, but so far there is not one defendant in the capital breach class. That's the, the hundreds of people that the Justice Department is prosecuting. Uh, they're listed under a page called the capital breach cases, capital breach cases. There's not one defendant <clears throat> in that category that is charged with insurrection under 18 U.S.C. 2383. That's because insurrection, like homicide and manslaughter and negligent homicide and second-degree murder and first-degree murder, they all have legal terms with specific elements. <clears throat> So nobody is going to, in the legal world, do what the politicians, Palsy Pelosi is doing, and call this crime an insurrection. Uh, who has been calling it an insurrection? It is the media and the politicians. The media should have a moral basis to set the record straight. But they're not. This is all part of the way in which the media furthers the cause of the progressive left. They don't challenge the progressive left's misuse of language. Now, uh, the, the, there are all sorts of synonyms, rebellion, uh, uprising, uh, but they all require elements which are not present in this event, January 6th, which is the organized use of violent force with the aim of replacing one government or political system with another. Organized use of violent force. <clears throat> now the Pelosi crowd is trying its dangest to establish that it was an organized use of violent force, organized. 
Organized is what military campaigns are. Organized has a command control. It has a command hierarchy. It has a strategy. It has phases. I mean, come on. If this were a real military insurrection, uh, this writer points out that it would have required unequal response and it would have required the armed forces of the United States, not the Capitol Guard, but it would have required the armed forces because it would have been then a strategic battle between organized forces with command staff hierarchy, organized command staff hierarchy. There's no demonstration of that at all in this. And that therefore would have required something other. Now, the real flaw, the real person responsible for this is Pelosi. Pelosi is in charge of the security of the Capitol. But she's trying to shift that blame over to Trump. So this is the battle that's going on. And but be sure that you understand that a lot of people are aware that the terminology here is being misused. The media has mischaracterized. You can make up your mind whether they've done it deliberately or just because it's the media. The media has mischaracterized these events. And because of that mischaracterization, they have created a moral panic, according to Mr. Shapiro. Now, he served as an assistant attorney general for the District of Columbia, and he is an advisor to the U.S. Agency for Global Media. So this guy is no lightweight who's making these thoughts available to us, which I'm going through with you. Uh, the, the, the media has missed, and he's an advisor to the media. The media has mischaracterized these events. They've therefore created a moral panic, and they have unfairly stigmatized. This is the point that's not made often enough. In going after Trump, they have unfairly stigmatized Trump supporters, Okay. They have lumped into the category, and this is a, the intent, because they're very concerned. They're very concerned that they can't really put quell 76 million disgruntled people. So uh, the, if this were an organized armed insurrection, uh, that would be one thing. But so far, false reporting and political gaslighting has kept this thing mischaracterized. That's not news to you, I know. You must know that already, and I'm just sharing it with you. I want to close out by saying that tomorrow we're going to have a guest, uh, New York University professor of politics, Lawrence Mead, and we're going to talk about with our guest the world culture war. He has written for Washington Examiner. In case you haven't read Washington Examiner, um, it is a place you probably ought to add to your reading list. And we're going to discuss the world culture war. So you'll want to tune into that and listen to that conversation. It should be a pretty good one. And uh, we bring that to you as a service of the Ward Scott Files. Have a great day. A Warthog, a command, manly command center in the Melbourne Law Studio in the Piney Woods, out.